And everybody said, amen. What a wonderful morning of worship. And uh, my heart is full today. So today, I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, if you have your copy of God's Word, to the book of Acts. <clears throat> and we're in chapter number two. First of all, thank you for praying for us while we were gone. Christy and I had a extended vacation time that we took together, and it was a delightful time to get away and do something special uh, together. And uh, this year is 40 years of being married. She's put up with me a long time. And so we, uh, we went uh, uh, away for a couple of weeks and just had a very good uh, time away and enjoyable. Thank you for praying for us. But we are so glad to be back today. And uh, there's nothing like your own church home and church family. Amen. So thank you for praying for us while we're gone. Acts chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 41. Do you have your copy of God's Word? I hope that you do. Follow along with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number, day by day, those that were being saved. Amen. Father in heaven, today I pray that as we open your word together that your Holy Spirit will speak to our heart. That, Father, you'll show us how you were at work in the early church. And, Father, remind us of that same purpose that you have and intention for our church today in this day. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin. I pray that you would draw us to the cross of Christ and that, Father, we would submit ourselves to your will and your authority. Father, I pray for renewal in our church family and in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, this is, the book of Acts is really all about the beginning of how the church began to be established and flourished. It was established by the Lord himself. It began with that small group of apostles and disciples that followed him and the small band of believers that followed Jesus in his journey and under his teaching. But a community of faith is born not many days after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's one of the favorite expressions that we find in Luke's gospel and also in the epistles is the word koinonia, which carries with it the idea of fellowship, to share, to have in common to be in community one with one another. It's one of the great Bible words 
that we find in all of Scripture. It's community. It's fellowship. It's koinonia. Now, fellowship's important to Baptist people. Most churches I've ever been a part of have a whole building dedicated to fellowship. They call it the fellowship what? What do they do in there? <laughs> you are Baptist indeed. That's what we do. And so we, it becomes code for fellowship. You invite me over to your house for some fellowship, I'm thinking I'm getting something to eat. But the biblical word that is used here is not so much about food. It's about community. It's about sharing. It's about koinonia. As a matter of fact, it's often translated community. By the way, when we, when we went with the word community groups, we thought that was just a strong Bible word because the church of Jesus Christ is in com commune with one another. They have in common with one another. They're in community with one another. Community means to share the same thing with one another, with another. It's, it's the same experience, same values, same grace. But it not only shares the idea of common, but it shares the idea of identity. So it's community. This is who we are. We are this community, a community marked by the same experience, and that experience is the overwhelming love and the grace of the Lord Jesus that has bonded us together and made us different, and we're a community, loving and knowing the Lord and walking with Him. It also carries the idea of unity, that we are together, in this common experience of grace with the Lord Jesus. Community groups, we see this formed in, in an expansive way after Pentecost. Pentecost, you know, was 50 days after Passover, and it was a time of celebration, and, and it was at one of the feasts in Jerusalem, and pilgrims would come from all over the world and they would be gathered together in Jerusalem. And it's on this day of Pentecost that the Spirit of God is poured out upon the church. Jesus told the early disciples, He says, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem and pray until you receive the, from on high the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that He would send the Comforter. He said He would go to the Father and receive the Spirit and pour the Spirit out upon His believers. And that's exactly what happens on this day of Pentecost. The outpouring, the baptism of the Holy Spirit on these believers and His established people are now empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was a birthing and an empowering of His church on the day of Pentecost. The city was filled with people, people from Medes, Persians, Elamites, folks from Mesopotamia, Judea, Asia Minor, Egypt, Libya, Rome. From all over the world, Jews came into Jerusalem and, and God-fearers. And this day, 50 days after Passover, during this feast, is when the Spirit of God moved powerfully. 
And the disciples were filled with the Spirit of God. They spoke in other languages. And folks were attracted to the believers. And they preached the gospel. As we look into this text today, in God's forming of community groups, I just want us to look at, first of all, how it happened. How did it begin? So that's the first question I want us to consider. It began by the work of God, didn't it? It's founded by God himself. And that's his idea. And so we notice on this day, if you look back into chapter number two, which we don't have time to look at all that today, but I'm just going to tell the story with you this morning. Notice how that, they, that people are gathered together. They see folks speaking and proclaiming and praising God and proclaiming the wonderful goodness of God. And they hear it in their own languages. And some don't understand what is happening. And some suppose that they are drunk. And Peter says, listen, we're not drunk as you suppose. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, dude. We're not drinking yet. That's not what's happening. This is a fulfillment of prophecy that comes from the prophet of Joel. And here's the truth that you need to understand that Peter preached and the other disciples. Get this down. Number one, you are not alone. God is at work in this world in wonderful and powerful ways. And he's not forgot his promises. God's been working. God created us. And God's got a plan for us. Tell your neighbor, God is at work. Tell him now. All right, he's at work, always has been at work. God hasn't gone to sleep. Some people think that God created the world and just threw it out there and then went to sleep and just runs on its own. No, it doesn't. He's involved in his world. He's carrying out his plan. And this was the message of Peter, that God promised to bring a king, a Messiah, and he will restore order to a broken and evil world. And that king is called in Judaism Messiah. He would come of the lineage of one of Israel's great kings, David. And he says, point blank, Jesus of Nazareth is that Messiah. And the reason we know that he's that Messiah is he was proven, attested to, by his miraculous works, the way he lived his life, the miraculous works and signs that we saw and are witness to, and for his powerful teaching, which was unlike any other's teaching, about the manifestation of the very love of God, an understanding of who God is like we've never known before. And when we saw him, we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw God tabernacled in flesh, and it's Jesus Christ. Wow. But he was delivered over by God's own plan to die for us. That God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. But a part of his preaching was, but you're not off the hook. You rejected him. You killed him. At the hands of evil and godless men, you caused the Messiah to be crucified and nailed to a cross. But God raised him from the dead. And death was defeated. And he conquered death. And then Peter says, and we, all of us, 
are witnesses to this thing. We lived with him. We walked with him. We saw him. We knew him. And we were there when he died. And we saw him raised from the dead. He's not defeated. He's alive. And God has exalted him. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's received from the Father what you, and he's now poured out on us what you see and hear. And that's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit outpouring. Wow. Peter was pretty bold, wasn't he? He said Christ was raised from the Father. Raised. He's defeated death. He's poured out his Spirit. And then he said, let all of Israel know God hath made him Lord. That means king, ruler of all, and Messiah. That's who he is. So they cry out in response, what shall we do? And this is what Peter says. Repent. That means change your mind and change your ways and change your behavior, and turn from your selfishness, and turn from sin, and turn to God. Be baptized. Everybody that repents of sin and embraces Jesus needs to be baptized and experience the forgiveness of your sins. The Lord was drawing them. The Lord was working. The Lord was building his church. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And Christ is drawing men to him. And the power of the preaching of the gospel was transformative on that day as it is today. Paul reminds us that the, I said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice the powerful result. Verse number 40 and 41, look with me in your Bible. And with many other words, he solemnly testified, kept on exhorting them, be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day 3,000 souls. Woohoo! Isn't that glorious? Wouldn't you love them in there on that day? So what was the result? They received the word, they were baptized, and 3,000 souls were added. Folks, I want to tell you what the establishment of community was God's idea. His drawing, his saving, his wooing, his convicting, his converting, and making us a part of a community of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, no man can lay a foundation other than the one that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The community of faith is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his atoning work and resurrection. That's what a church and small groups are built on. Number two, what was their focus? What was the focus of this, these community groups? Notice in verse number 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. So notice they were continually, Luke says. 
That means they were continually ongoing priority. And they were devoted. That means they made it a priority of their spiritual life. They didn't neglect it. They ne did not neglect meeting together, assembling together. They devoted themselves. They didn't treat attendance and participation in community groups as optional. Every member, every member was a part of the community of faith. And what did they do? They submitted themselves. You know, a long time ago, we used to do evangelism and street evangelism, and I still do, and I share my faith regularly, and I believe in street evangelism and, and sharing the gospel and talking to people about their faith. I had an opportunity to share yesterday with somebody, and and, 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 and the Lord opens those doors. But folks, there was a time that we just had people read a prayer in the back of a track, and, and, then, whether, and then it's got like they, they've got their, 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 their passport to heaven stamped, and now they're just going, and we don't care about follow-up. Folks, that is not what Jesus called us to do. He called us to make disciples who can make disciples and be in community with one another. And so they were submitting themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is what they did. This was their focus. The apostles were teaching these new believers. What were they teaching? I think they were teaching who Jesus was, what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, how to obey God, how to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. They were modeling it out, how to love one another, forgive one another, walk out this gospel with one another, teaching them how to walk with God. You do that in community. It's not that you listen to a tape on the five, you know, you don't get this on a podcast. You get this in community. Living out life with each other. You say, but pastor, we don't have apostles. True. We do not have apostles like the first church. But do we have the apostles' teaching? We do. The apostles' teaching are found in this book right here. And that's why when we meet together in community group, we're submitting ourselves to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're submitting ourselves to the letters that are written by Paul and Peter and James. We are submitting ourselves to the instruction from God's infallible word that speaks to us, that's alive and it's a fire and it speaks to our life and it convinces us of truth and convicts us of sin and comforts us in our grief and it, it gives us life and hope. There's no other book like this one. When we get in community groups, it's not some encounter group that we just sit around and talk about contemplate all of our feelings we want to hear from God and let him address the deep needs of our life amen Ephesians 2 verse 20 so says then you're no longer strangers and aliens but fellow citizens with the saints we're God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus being the cornerstone so in community groups at Bethel, we are going to 
we're going to have everyone who facilitates that group not only lead us in times of prayer and fellowship and sharing, but we're going to open the Word of God and ask the Spirit of God to speak to us from the Word of God. And it changes our lives. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Amen? That's God's Word. It's so powerful. The second thing that we notice is in, in this, <clears throat> what was their focus? The second thing was fellowship. Not only just submitting to the apostles' teaching, but the second thing was the fellowship. They were in koinonia. They were sharing common life together. They were sharing in the grace and the goodness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They were in communion with the Lord Himself. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 talks about this fellowship. Listen close. 1 John 1, 3. What we've seen and heard, we declare to you also that you may have fellowship, community, with us, and indeed our community, our fellowship, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. When we gather together, where two or three are gathered, my name, Jesus said, I'm right there in your midst. When you meet in community, something powerful happens in fellowship, not only with one another, but in the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Notice, not only did they share in grace, but they shared their lives. They generously shared of themselves. They were giving generously. They, they, they cared for each other and shared with each other. Paul said concerning the Macedonians, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then they gave themselves to us. And that's kind of the way it works. We give ourselves to the Lord and then we give ourselves to one another. Help one another, encourage one another, meet needs with one another, pray for one another. One of the things I love about being a part of Bethel Church, let me tell you what I love about being a part of this family at Bethel. We care for each other. We should have got a bigger amen than that. We care for each other in this church. We love each other. We care for each other. We support each other. We pray for each other. We come alongside each other. And we love each other. And we're not going to change any of that in this church because I believe the Holy Spirit leads us to do that with one another. Amen? We're going to care for each other, love each other, but not only that, they gave themselves, they say they say didn't claim anything was their own, it wasn't about me, and if somebody was hurting and in need, then they might sell something to go and help somebody that had a need. Nobody forced communism in the early church. That's not true. But they did it generously as they were led of the Lord to do. In Acts chapter 11, the church at Antioch, whenever these Gentiles are coming to Christ and Paul and Barnabas are meeting among them, a prophet stands up and says there's going to be a famine in Judea and the church knew that they needed to send relief. And it says, as many as could, and by the means that they had, they gave to support those. Nobody forced it on them, but they willingly gave. This was the early church. They took their meals together. Not only that, 
They had fellowship. They broke bread one to another. Some of you are saying, Pastor, when are you going to get to the bread part? And so uh, they broke bread. They had, that means they had meals. They shared and ate together. But more importantly, when they're using the word the way that Luke does, broke bread, it's clearly a reference that not only did they fellowship and have a meal, but a part of that would be a remembrance and the Lord's Supper together. Because there was a gospel reminder that this community group isn't just about us. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came. That Jesus poured out his blood. That Jesus' life was broken. And Jesus atoned for our sin. And Jesus has saved us. And Jesus rose again. And Jesus is coming again. And this was a part of that fellowship. A remembrance. But I'd be remiss to miss the last part. In verse 42. And to prayer. Folks, being a part of a community group means that we're going to pray. Would you focus with me for a minute? Part of community group is that we just don't pray for people that are sick and somebody that we heard about. Being a part of community that as the Spirit of God has been speaking to us through the Word of God and we're in the fellowship of the Spirit of God, that God speaks to us and moves in my heart, and I share with brothers and sisters in confidence about things that are weighty on my heart and mind, and we pray for each other. And we pray for guidance, and we confess our sin, and we pray for God's kingdom to come, and we pray that God would use us as his people. Prayer will be central and important to being in community with one another. Amen? Some of you pay good money to go see people, to pour out your problems. And I'm not criticizing anybody, but I do want to read a quote from a man, great scholar, who wrote a seminal book called Life Together, named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer is a Lutheran pastor, German, martyr for his faith, killed at the hands of the Nazis. A great man, wrote The Cost of Discipleship. One of his lesser-known books is a book called Life Together. Listen to this quote. The most experienced psychologist or observer of human nature knows infinitely less of the human heart than the simplest Christian who lives beneath the cross of Jesus. The greatest psychological insight, ability, and experience cannot grasp this one thing. What is sin? Worldly wisdom knows what distress and weakness and failure are, but it does not know the godlessness of man. And so it also does not know that man is destroyed only by his sin, and can be healed only by forgiveness. Only the Christian knows this. In the presence of a psychiatrist, I can only be a sick man. In the presence of a Christian brother, I can dare to be a sinner. 
The psychiatrist must first search my heart. And yet he never plumbs its ultimate depths. The Christian brother knows when I come to him. Here is a sinner like myself. A godless man who wants to confess and yearn for God's forgiveness. The psychiatrist views me as if there were no God. The brother views me as I am before the judging and merciful God in the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, my friends, some of the deepest woes and needs and confusion of your heart, you can find healing when you gather with God's people in real community where they love you and pray for you. Amen. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Amen. What did they experience? What did they experience? Notice with me in verse number 43 and 44, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Can you, what is awe? Not awe. What's awe? It's reverence. It's a holy awe that we are in the presence of something greater than us. Someone greater than us. Someone who knows us. Someone who can change us. Awe is a reverence that we're in the presence of the holy. That God is at work. Miracles are happening. Miracles were happening. Transformation of lives. Lives were being changed. Forgiveness was being experienced and expressed. Healing was taking place at the hands of the disciples. And still today, healing is taking place in community of faith healing of brokenness and healing of marriages and healing in relationships and healing in comfort and healing in grief and healing with our children being saved and husbands being restored and wives becoming affectionate and fathers with hearts for their sons. The healing of our broken lives. And when you begin to experience His healing you're in awe that we are in the presence of God. Oh, God in heaven, may this happen all across our church, that there's a sense of holy awe that God is changing us and making us whole again. How often did they meet? Good question. Verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, taking their meals together, with gladness and sincerity of heart. They met day by day. They met every day, not just Sunday, not just Wednesday. They met every day. They met in the temple at Solomon's Colonnade. They prayed and praised and thanked God. Now, I'm sure some people went to work, had to go to work, but... Every day people were gathering, different groups on different days, but they were gathered together and they were 
praising God and praising God and praying together and thanking God and, and submitting themselves to teaching of the apostles. And then every day during the week, they were gathered in people's homes all over the city. And they were breaking bread together. They were fellowshipping together. They were praying together. They were loving each other, sharing with one another, and searching the Scripture together. And God was changing their lives every day, house to house. Sounds like community group to me. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Large groups and small groups and huddles. God was changing their lives. What was present? Next question. It brings us sort of moving toward the end. Verse number 46 and 47. If you have your Bible, look with me. And day by day they were continually, continuing with one mind. That means they were together. They were breaking bread from house to house. I think that's communion, Lord's Supper together. And then they were taking meals. They ate their meat with one another. They were eating a meal with each other. And how did they do this? Notice what was present with gladness and sincerity of heart. I think one of the things that marks a church that's in communion with God and with the Spirit and submitted to the Word of God and Jesus is transforming lives, I'm telling you one of the things that marks that kind of church is joy and gladness in a life of a church. There should have been a greater amen than that. Tell your neighbor, God wants you to have joy in your life. Now convince them. Y'all believe that? Listen, our Savior even facing the cross, there was a joy in it, for the joy set it before him and he endured the cross. Listen, there's joy in this Christian life. Some of y'all look like you've been soaked in lemon juice or something. Y'all puckered up, grouchy, man. That's about as attractive as maggots. Seriously. If there's one thing that ought to mark the face of a believer, it's joy in Jesus, man. Look what he's done for us. He's with us. He's for us. He's changing us. Hallelujah. He's not done with us. Tell your neighbor, he's not done with you yet. But doesn't that give you joy? He's not done yet? Man, praise God, this is not as good as it gets. This is what God's called us to as a church. The word used here for gladness or joy, it, it, it means exalting in God. It's exalting in Him. It's passionate, it leads to passionate praise, not manipulation, not muted, not perfunctory, just coming and going through the motions, not some ritual, not something rote, but the overflow of your life and your joy. It says they had joy, not only that, they had simplicity or sincerity of heart means they were genuine. They were open with one another and honest with God, and it was real. 
in their life. The third thing was they praised God. They opened their hearts and they praised Him and loved Him and adored Him. And they were honest in their worship. They weren't fighting over worship. They were in love with Jesus. There were people from the Medes and the Persians and the Elamites and Egyptians. Do you think they all dressed the same? Do you think they all smelled the same? Do you think they all had the same skin color? Of course not. Did they have different languages? Of course they did. Did they know different songs with different beats? Of course they did. But did they gather together and focus on Jesus? Yes! And there was fullness of joy. God's doing in our church. Break down racial barriers. Break down language-based barriers. Break down cultural barriers. And get our eyes on Jesus Christ. The author and perfecter of our faith. And they experienced God's amazing grace. It was His grace. His favor. Notice in the text that they were experiencing favor with all of the people. God's hand of grace was on them visibly. The favor of God on them the grace of God in relationships, amazing grace in evangelism. They were sharing the gospel, and every day the Lord was adding to their number as they shared and preached the gospel of Christ. And it was amazing because it's all about God's favor. It's about His grace. And they welcomed because they experienced God's grace. They could extend God's grace to others not like them and, and welcome them into the grace of the Lord Jesus. They were willing to experience growth, evangelism, starting of new units, branching groups and starting new groups all over the city. And the grace of God was manifest. The question for you today, are you in community? Are you, have you been changed by Jesus? Say amen. Are you being changed by Jesus? Are you submissive to the word of God? Are you in fellowship with other people? Are you serving and using the gifts God's given you? Are you praying for one another? Are you experiencing favor? Are you giving favor? Are you expressing praise? Are you experiencing joy? Are you sharing your faith? This is the people of God. This is who we will be. Let's go and be the people of God. Father in heaven, change us. Make us to be your holy people. In Jesus' name, amen.